Alrighty, so let's, um, I want to review for just a couple minutes from last week, just to kind of, um, just kind of refresh our thoughts from last week. Plus, it gives me time to get my iPad open up to my notes as well. So last week we started out talking about the concept of what community should look like. And we started talking about um, that when God commissioned or God gave us a commandment, he actually commissioned a family. And so the thought was how that everything we do in the, in, that we do should actually flow from family. So he commissions a family to be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion. It's interesting as well, I didn't bring this out, but even after Noah and the flood, God again gives the same commandment to Noah and his family. So it's, it's, and we said this last week, the word of God will never return void. God's word is always going to be fulfilled. So even after Adam and Eve fell in the garden, God's word still ran through Noah and his family. And it will. That's the beauty of the word of God. It's, it's never going to return void. And so we talked about that. And then we talked about three things last week. We talked about how that community was, number one, is a place that was, um, it was, text, it was marked by presence. We talked about how it was, it was partnered with heaven and how we talked about even with that part about partnering with heaven, Psalm 127, unless the Lord build a house, those who build labor in vain. And I really want to maybe re-hit that again this morning. The importance of us making sure that everything we do is God-led, not self-led. It really is true. Good things are not always God things. Everything from God is good. But not every good thing is actually God-inspired. And so we have to be really careful about doing things because there's a need to do it with. Hey, there's a a ministry we can give into. There's a a, a need here. There's there's always going to be needs. Jesus said this. He said, you will always have the poor with you. Okay, so there's always opportunities to do something with, but is God leading us to do that at that time? That's the question for us. That's going to be the challenge, not just as individuals, but as a family. And I really love what Lee said this morning, and it was really, really good about uh, making sure we transition out of a um, our self-focus and into the bigger picture focus. You know, for example, one of the things I've really been sharing in my own life is I, I'm beginning to understand that a lot of my own personal prophetic words are really not for me. They're just words I've been given to Stuart for people in my bloodline. You know, when, when God called Abraham and he said, you're, you'll have descendants as the stars of the sea and the, the sand of the shore, Abraham never saw that. He never saw any of that. But yet, Abraham was called to steward a word for multiple generations to come. And so I think for us, we have to look at the bigger picture, that God doesn't want to just validate me for myself, but God wants me to steward what he's given me for somebody else to touch generations. Okay, guys? So that's part of the building the house. So instead of like, hey, I'm going to build this for me so I can have a cool name. No, no. God, how do we build this that multiple generations are touched forever, that when we're gone in, 80 years. Nobody, well, let's see, maybe Abby and Ethan might be here. 
But no, and, and, and uh, yeah, thank you. Everybody else, and Chase, unless we just uh, hit 120, we ain't going to be here. <laughs> so how, how does God get his dream to the next generation? By his sons and daughters who stood it well. And we talked about that as well. And we talked about how that um, community would be a place of teaching. And I really want to stress the importance of these equipping nights we're going to have. Don't, don't, um, don't negate these nights. It's one Friday a month, every other month. They're really good. They're going to really release things into you. Like I can just tell you, I know many of you can tell me, can testify to this as well. Impartation really changed my life. Like being in meetings that cost me money to go to and time to get there really changed my life. Like that meeting with Randy, that was a 13-hour drive to Baltimore. That was two hotel nights in Baltimore, which was not cheap. That was a lot of gas. That was food. And my life was profoundly touched in Baltimore in 2009. So I'm just saying this. You don't, you don't have to drive 13 hours. You can drive 30 minutes and come here these nights and really be equipped. Okay, guys? Anyway. So I'm going to pick up with our thought on community today. And we'll start with uh, chapter 2 of Genesis. And we'll pick up in verse 25. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. And the Bible says this. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So the point I want to share today is this, is that community is a place of transparency without fear of judgment. Transparency without fear of judgment. How would you like to live life being completely free of fear of being judged? Okay, that's quiet. I would love to live my life completely free of being judged. And the fear of this. It's interesting. They were naked and not ashamed. Why, why were they not ashamed? It's simple. They didn't know they were naked. In other words, they had no self-introspection. What do you mean? They weren't looking at themselves. Obviously, what happens with Moses in the book of Exodus, that he goes up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and he comes back, and his face is shining with the glory of God. What happens? Moses loses self-introspection, and he's so caught up in the glory of God, he's so God-focused that his, his own body, his own nature reflects what he's been embracing. And if we're ever going to really reflect the nature of God, it'll never come as we focus on self. It only comes when we focus on him. Set your eyes. Set your heart. Those things. Where, where is, it, is, it, is it on myself, my needs, my fears, or is, is my focus on him today? Because I believe as we do that, as we look at him, as we gaze into his eyes, as we gaze into his heart, then we take on, or not take on, because listen, here's the thing. You have his nature already. The question is this, are you reflecting it? Is, is it coming forth from within you? And so we have the nature of God, but as we look at him, we begin to reflect what we already have within us. And so here's this thing. And it says they were naked and not ashamed. 
Let's talk about shame and guilt because they're two different things this morning. Shame says there's something wrong with me. Guilt says I did something wrong. And so they were naked and not ashamed. There was nothing in them that said you are a failure. You're, a, you're at fault. There was nothing in them that made them feel shame. And many people in the body still at some level deal with shame. Rejection. I didn't measure up. This is why we need to be, this is why I so believe in like inner healing. Why? Because you get to the lies that make you believe things about yourself that are really not true. Because really what you're dealing with at the core of your being is you're believing a lie. Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. That's the power of truth. That truth exposes lies and makes you walk in complete freedom. And so they were naked. I love that. They were naked. They were naked. God made you to walk naked. Just kidding, guys. Because, you know, there are churches now in America doing that, by the way. They were, I'm serious. It's, 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 it's God. God help us. Jesus himself shows us what this looks like. He hangs naked on the cross. He is completely exposed before God and man. And I think a lot of us at times can little expose, well, listen, here's the thing with God. God knows already. But what if I could live my life in such a way that I'm, I'm exposed before God and you? Like, you know, you know everything. Now, let me clarify this thought. I'm not saying become a spiritual nudist. Okay? It's what it is. Because I, I meet some people and I'm thinking, you need to shut your mouth. Like, don't go, don't go to everybody's your business, okay? But when we talk about community, those people you're really encountering with, like, what would life look like if you could really live an open-ended life before them? Like, no secrets. Like, in your marriage. Hopefully, with our marriages, there are no secrets. If there are, that is not good. Would you agree with that? Okay. So even in covenant, like, I consider to be a covenant brother, I have nothing to happen, Lee, because I know Lee is not going to judge me. I know Lee's heart, if there is an issue in my heart, which is not because I'm perfect, I'm Paul and I'm perfect. Lee would, in love, help me see my blind spot and move past it or get it dealt with. And that's why I think it's so important about community, is that we have people in our life who can help us see our blind spots. How do you know that a Mazda Miata, which is a really small vehicle, has a blind spot that can hide an 18-wheeler in it? And if that Mazda Miata comes over and doesn't check his blind spot, it is not going to end well for that Mazda Miata and the person in it, okay? And blind spots have a way, if we don't deal with those blind spots, of actually taking us out. Because we refuse to do it. And the only way you will ever find a blind spot in your life is to have somebody in your life who can speak into your life. And the challenge for some of us is not, is allowing people to speak into our lives things we do not want to hear. 
it's all good when Mark says, hey, Paul, you're this, you're that, I love this. But when Mark says a fault in my life and Mark comes to me, and I'm going, mm, I want to kill him. No, I'm not that way. Because here's the thing, guys. It's called a blind spot for a reason. You can't see it. But listen to this. Community is a place where you are to be valued and loved for who you are and not who you want to be. So again, community is a place where you are valued and loved for who you are and not who you want to be. I think a lot of believers want to be somebody else than who God made them. That, again, comes out of deep-seated needs that have not been dealt with. Performance. Because we look at this person and we see the attention they get, maybe the fame they might have, maybe the favor, whatever it is, and we say, if I could be just like that person, then my life would change. And in doing so, we become a replica. And the value of anything is only found in its original state. So what I want to drive home first today is this, is that you are valuable because you're one of a kind. And you may not feel valuable, but guess what that is? That's a lie. Jesus calls the devil the father of lies. Why? Because that's his, that's his main weapon. He's going to lie to you. But what if every lie that kept us down was broken? And we actually saw ourselves the way the Father sees us. That's why I tell people, get in the Word and see how God, what, what does God say about you? My thoughts for you are as numerous as the sands. There are too many to count. Really, God? You Because you I was told God that you hate me. And then you get in His Word his love letter, and you find out how God really feels about you. What happens? You begin to replace lies with truth. What if in this house, in, in our house, everybody in here walked in complete freedom of who they were? And we could actually celebrate who everybody was. That we could actually be ourselves, and we never had to perform for one another. You know, if I want to lead a lot, me, I need to maybe dress like this, or I need to be more into this. I need to be in, the, you know, I got to be in the Holly Davidsons, and I got to be able to, to do pest control. And if I want a lot more, I got to love, you know, roller coasters, and I want to go deer hunting. And if it's Melinda, then I don't know what you do anyway. So, <laughs> but what if we understood that people had actually valued us for us and not what we did, and that even in that, you could have the most healthiest relationships with people who are nothing like you. See, don't get mad when I say this. I don't understand the pictures of the families at the beaches in the same outfit. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, dude, like, which one's which? I mean, I know it maybe it's something special, but I'm just thinking, for me, it's like, I want to be myself. I want to be Paul. I want to be, I want to, I, look, I don't want to wear khakis and a white bun down in the beach. I want some swim shorts and a tank top maybe, and I want to be just like, what's up? And I'm thinking, so, and maybe this is a bad example. Don't shoot me for saying that. But, I, but you see, maybe at a really, really small level, this fought, this all about, we got to look the same. Man, the kingdom is all about individuality that makes a, a corporate family. So 
in this year, in our house, along with community nights and equipment nights, how do we really begin to celebrate each other in such a way that we honor one another? They would say, man, I value you for you. And I think that's really healthy. Let me give you another thought I've got wrote down here. The purpose of family is to expose gifts, talents, and anointings in others and to help cover weakness, faults, and failures from those outside the community. So again, the purpose of family is to, uh, is to expose gifts, talents, and anointings in others and to help cover weakness, faults, and failures from those outside the community. Now, the religious spirit is, is, is different. The religious spirit is this way. It wants to expose faults and failures while suppressing the things that they themselves do not walk in in regards to gifting, calling, and anointing. In other words, the religious spirit wants to suppress your anointing because Lee moves in miracles and I don't, so I can't let Lee have the main, I can't let him be the man. Mark moves in signs and wonders, so we got to suppress him because he can't be the man. But in a family, what do you do? You want to bring those things up and out because you rush. You're called to walk in covenant, not competition. And this morning, while we pray for the church in Georgia, wait, Georgia, that way, yeah, was because they're not competition. They're brothers in Christ. So let's take five minutes and let's pray to God what God's doing in Georgia will continue because they're family. Instead of being jealous because people are having a move of God, applaud what God's doing and say, God, thank you that God, you're moving in that place. God, move in other places. And I think one of the best examples of this is found with Noah. After Noah gets off the boat, Noah plants a vineyard. And Noah gets drunk. Noah's a redneck. He has the moonshine. And what happens? Noah gets drunk and Noah gets naked. And his son exposes his nakedness to his brothers. But his brothers put a sheet and they begin to walk backwards and they won't even look at the father's nudity, his nakedness. And how many people in the body of Christ want to expose somebody else? Work ought to be a covering. Now listen, Paul, are you saying we don't deal with stuff? No, that's what I'm saying. When stuff happens in this house, we will deal with it in the house, and we will deal with it in private. But we want to keep it from those outside the community because it's none of their business. Because the whole purpose for confronting it is to restore people who have fallen. Instead of being the son who wants to expose and go run around and tell everybody what they saw, keep your mouth shut, pray for them that God would restore them. Listen, how, how important is restoration? It's vitally important. Paul writes, you who are spiritual will restore such a one that's fallen. Some community, we want to be transparent. We want to be open and honest. We want to make sure that we have a healthy relationship with one another. James says, James exhorts us to confess our sins or to confess our faults. Now, it, it, it's interesting what you read. Some versions say it's confess our sins. Some versions say confess your faults or your offenses. And the reason it says that is because some Bibles, uh, that's taken from the Greek text, and some are taken from the Aramaic text. So I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm not an Aramaic scholar. I'm barely in English. I barely passed English in high school. So 
but look at that. Confess your faults. Confess your sins. Why is that important? Well, we know that we're forgiven because we ask God for forgiveness. Correct? Not man. But, I, you know, I've used this example many times here. If I have a thought I shouldn't have in my heart. I, let me, let me, if I, when I have a thought that I don't immediately remove because Jesus was tempted and always to get without sin, okay? So the thought itself is not sin. It's what you do with the thought when it happens, okay? And you have a thought, and you, you, give, you, you open your heart to it, okay? That's sin. That's what you do. Here's what I do. God, I sinned. Would you forgive me? What do you do then? I call Adam Torres. Why? Because if you confess your faults one another... Every time I've ever done that, whenever there's been any condemnation from the enemy, and I call somebody and tell them what I did, it completely removes the condemnation. Why? Because you just exposed yourself. And so no longer can the enemy say, hey, tomorrow at church, I'm going to expose you. Now, you just exposed yourself. Hey, Amir, man, last night I was just, had this thought, I didn't, I didn't deal with it fast enough, and it just got in my heart. I repented, I confessed, would you just pray for me? Sure, and I'm telling you, every time I do that, Condemnation that I've dealt with, gone. The enemy hates that. So I'm just telling you, when you have a struggle with anything in life, whether you get angry, you get bitter, you say something you shouldn't see, find you somebody in life you can do life with, you can, you're in covenant with, and call them and say, hey, I struggled with this. I repented, God forgive me, but would you pray with me? And I'm telling you, if you're dealing with any condemnation, the enemy can't stand that. Jesus said, the God of this world has come, but he has nothing in me. What does that mean? There was nothing in Jesus that gave the enemy any right to access him. So when we actually begin to expose ourselves, what little ground he has to begin with, we have actually removed from him. Therefore, he has nothing to grab us with, guys. This is why covenant is so important. This is why community is important. This is why you being transparent is vitally, vitally important. That's funny. Test message. How many of you guys remember Jimmy Swagger in the 80s? We all know his story of prominence on television ministry to getting up one Sunday morning and confessing that he has, he has sinned. Years later, we, at our church, we, was going, we had a guest speaker named Lance Warnow come in. Lance, this is before Lance was even big, really. Lance wasn't even known at the time. Lance had come in, and I was driving Lance back to his hotel. And Lance and the guy was talking. He was driving, and Lance told a story that he knew about Jimmy Swaggart from a personal friend. And said, Jimmy Swaggart for years has struggled with pornography. For years, he has struggled. And he had this massive building at Potno, what, seated three, four, five, 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 five. I mean, he was, the, he was the man of the man at that time. And Jimmy said after he failed, he wanted so desperately to tell people he struggled with pornography that he was so afraid of what he would lose. That when you go to his campus now, this was a few years back at least, I don't know, it, may, it may have changed. At the height of his failure, they were building a brand new parking deck because of the, the school ministry down there. And when he fell, everybody left. That building just became a skeleton of what once was. And instead of getting help for his issue, he was so afraid of losing what he had at the moment. And I don't never want us to live life for a moment like he was doing. I want you to know that, guys, this is a safe place. 
that if you're struggling in anything, you can come to me. You can come to Lee. You can come to Angela. There's people here you can come to because I, the enemy is really good about beating your brains in. If I'm looking at you, I'm just looking at you. I'm not saying, well, bless you. I know what you're doing. I don't know. I'm glad I don't know. Again, I said last week, I do good to control myself. But I want, you, I want us to make a place where, man, if we struggle, guys, I am struggling with something because I think it's healthy. Still trying to do it ourselves. Okay, moving on. Uh, characteristic number five. Uh, we'll pick up reading in verse number six of so Genesis chapter three. Genesis three, verse six. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they had sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and the woman hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? He said, I heard your sound of your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The, the, man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Verse 13, Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So, Thought number five, community is a place of responsibility. Now, instead of taking personal responsibility for what they just did, what happens? They shift blame. And actually, Adam actually blames God first. God, that woman you gave me. (laughs) So his first blame is towards God. And then, not only does he then blame God, he then blames Eve. And then the Eve blames the serpent. And the serpent, here's the thought though, is that they had to take personal responsibility. And in a community, you have to take personal responsibility. You have to. It's a, it's, if community is going to thrive and be healthy, you have to take Responsibility for your actions. If not, it's going to implode. What happens in the book of Numbers when Aaron and Miriam talk about Moses and the black woman he married? God comes down. God is not happy. And God strikes Miriam with leprosy. And as a result, while she's away for seven days, the camp does not move. What happens in community affects community. Listen, people say, Paul, that's Old Covenant. No, that's Old Testament. That was not Old Covenant with numbers right there. That was Old Testament. So when something happens in our circle, it can actually affect the whole group. So that's why we have to take, when something happens, personal responsibility. I think one of the greatest examples of this I've ever read about was um, Danny Silk tells a story in his book, Culture of Honor. 
It tells the story of uh, two Bethel students who I think were second, or th- I think they were third-year students who had begun to date, and over their course of dating, they became too intimate, and uh, the girl became pregnant. And so they begin to talk to the leaders. They talk to Danny and to Baniels at Bethel, and they say, hey, here's what's happened. We started dating, blah, blah, blah. She's now pregnant. What do we do? Well, here's what you do. You clean up your mess. And so one of the things that Danny had the, the, the students do was to go to the first and say to your students and say, we have sinned, we have repented, here's what happened. I mean, could you imagine going before a thousand kids and saying, yeah, we're having a kid. I mean, I couldn't imagine doing that. And yet, the most beautiful thing happened out of that. The students, instead of wanting to point fingers and shame and blame, actually began to pray for the couple who got married and began to pray for the baby and actually began to prophesy over the baby. They had the baby, and the baby was very sick, and the baby almost died. And they prayed, and nothing began to happen. They, they prayed, and nothing happened. And then they remembered the prophetic word about the baby, and they called the baby. And they began to re- declare what God has said about the baby. And the baby was completely healed. What if their shame kept them from telling everybody and they left Bible school and the baby was born and then the baby dies? Even in the, the, the part of having to expose yourself and be honest, there was still life in that. See, the kingdom is all about restoration. God's heart has always been to restore. When Adam and Eve fell, God finds an an animal and he kills the animal and he clothes them with the skins of the animal. And God, in his grace, puts them out of the garden. Not because God is angry with them. Because God knows if they eat of the tree of life, after they've ate of the other tree, they will live forever in a fallen state. So it was God's grace that puts them out of the garden, not his anger and his wrath. What's he doing? He's redeeming his people. I will clothe you and I will remove you so you cannot live forever in a fallen state. So when these two fell, even the thought of coming before students and saying, I messed up, there was still life in that moment. And to me, that's, that's so healthy. You know, I have a son. Admiral does not have an off switch. If my son is, this morning, it's, it was 6.30, and it will be the 7.30 night. That kid does not stop. And he can destroy my house. Steve, and you came by Friday night, my house looked good. Because I said, Admiral, Steve's coming by for dinner. Do not get anything out. And it, even he has pulled some things out. But there are some nights, I'm thinking, did a tornado just hit my house? Like, where did all these toys come from? And, I mean, you can't even walk. But before Abner goes to bed, Abner, pick up your toys. It's not my job to clean up his mess. But if Abner gets crayons or pencils and colors on the walls, I'm going to clean that mess up. Part of healthy leadership, guys, is knowing when to help people clean up their mess and when to empower them to clean up the mess. Admiral, you can pick these toys up yourself. But Admiral, if I give you this Clorox, this bleach, you might drink it and we might go to the ER. So, because I'm your father and I know how to use it, I'm going to help you clean up your mess. 
So we have to know that. But guys, it's going to get messy in here at times. And you know what? It's going to be okay. We'll get through it. As long as we work together, we'll get through it just fine. And so we want to make sure we take personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. Uh, a few years back, I was at Bethel, and there was a, a there was a breakout session by Chris Valentin, and I love Chris Valentin. I think he's great because he's a, he. I, I like. I think I'm like Chris, like just straightforward, straight shooter. You can just say what you feel like you need to say. Like, think I probably should have said that. But anyway, so Chris was talking one day about just prophetic stuff and talking about a, talking about a guy on their staff who had, who had fallen and they had, they. Had, Restored a guy, and he was doing really well. And Chris made a statement I thought was really, really profound. He goes, he goes, if you can't be confronted here at Bethel, you will not be empowered. I thought, hmm, that's good. If you cannot be confronted, you will not be empowered. And guys, that's what's to be here. If we see things that we think are not right, we're going to confront. In private, um, yes, in private, not in public. In love, never accusing. But I just tell you, shut up. If we do that and you want to butt the system, you will not be empowered. This is a this is a family ministry. I may be the visionary for the for the house, but it's family run, and family does things together. But let's just put it out there. If there's time, you know, I heard a guy say one time I thought it was really good. We inspect what we expect. Okay, anyway, moving on. And I, listen, I don't say that to be heavy-handed. I, I just know in my own life, it, it's so valuable to have people in your life who can call you out. N- and and never, to, never to tear you down. But, hey, Paul, you know, Lynn who's coming, you know, I would preach. He says, Paul, I really enjoyed your sermon, but you just seem like you had an angry edge today. Are you Are you okay? Well, no, no, I'm good, Linda. Let me just explain what I was doing. Okay, cool. See, all he did was take me aside, never, well, you had an angry edge, and you were, and like, he, was, he was always asking why, because he wanted to make me better. It was never like, dude, you suck, Paul. I'm going to spank you today. And so it, the beauty of people, and I keep coming at this point, because, guys, this has really been so powerful in my life, is just having people in life who can actually just speak life into you. Well, I'll tell you straight up again, and I, I talk about Admiral Luck. Admiral Sora has changed my life. God has used him in such a profound way to affect my life. I, I'm careful saying if I had never met Admiral, my life would be different. I, I, I don't know. So I'm careful when you say that because, you know, people say, I'm like, you don't know, okay? But I would hate to think what my life may not look like if I had not met him two years ago. And other ones... <laughs> There's just so much here. I'm just trying not to just give it at one time because there's just a lot I want to say. Um, anyway, we'll do one more and we'll call it a day. Number six, chapter four, verse one. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, "I have begotten a man-child with the help of the Lord." Number six, uh, community is a place of covenant. Go ahead and flip over with me to 1 Samuel 18. 
1 Samuel 18, starting in verse 1. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took to him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Uh, I will give you a few thoughts. Uh, The first thought is this. It is impossible to walk in covenant if you don't first love yourself. It is impossible to walk in covenant if you don't first love yourself. Why do you say that, Paul? Because of this right here, Matthew 22. And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So here's what he says. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So in other words, if Crawford's having a really bad day, Crawford's probably not going to love me the way he should love me because he's having a bad day. But if Crawford's having a really good day, he's going to love me the way because as you love, love your neighbor as you love yourself. In reality, Jesus actually changes that. He said, a new command I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. So no longer do I love you based on how well I love myself. I now love you based on how he loved me. Uh Uh-oh. He didn't have bad days. He didn't. You love them as I have loved you. So if I'm going to really walk in covenant with somebody, I have to be healed. I have to be whole. I have to be completely walking in freedom or or moving in that direction in my life. Because if I don't love me, how can I love you? If I don't don't take care of me, I'm not going to take care of you. Paul even uses that about the husband and wife. No man has ever loved his wife and hated his flesh. That's what he says. So, we need to be healed. Again, I, I would just throw this out to you guys if you've never done it. If you've never done inner healing, I would suggest it in a heartbeat. I would. I've done it. I, I haven't done it in a while. I repent. I need to go do it again. Why, why, why do you do inner healing, Paul? Because you find things in your heart that you're maybe not aware of. Like, here's the deal. We're all busy. Family, marriages, we have jobs, we do church, we do ministry stuff. We're really busy. So when's the last time you're you're actually able to sit down and take inventory of what's going on in your life? And say, I did that today. What what was the motivator behind that? Because I promise you, you don't do anything just to do it. There's something that's always pushing you to do something. Like I said a few weeks back, people who get angry, anger is never the issue. Anger is just the fruit of a deeper issue. Like, you never wake up angry. Something happens that makes you angry. So in inner healing, they call it a secondary emotion. And so don't try to, so it's stupid they try to cast out anger because anger is not the issue. Anger is just the fruit of a much deeper issue. So when I, find, when I meet people who's got anger issues, I'm thinking, you need inner healing. Because there is something deep in your soul that you refuse to deal with. So here's what I would suggest to you. Get online. Type in Sozo Birmingham and go find your place in Birmingham who does inner healing. 
I know some people who do it. It's really good. It's life-changing. Why? It's not exposing you. you. You actually kind of, in a way, set the ball with how deep you want to go in it. But in my own, every time I've ever done, every time I've ever done any healing, I've always went saying, I'm good. And as we just begin the dialogue, they'll ask a question that I was not even thinking about. And that question will always reveal something in my heart I didn't even know was there. I'm thinking, oh, God, I thought I dealt with that. And you realize you didn't deal with that. So what do you do? Pray about it. They walk you through it. Break the vow with it. I'm like, man, I'm good. I mean, listen, if we take our cars to get oil changes and checkups, shouldn't we do that way with our own spiritual walk? To me, that's all inner healing is. It's a, it's a, it's a tune-up. It's a checkup. It's not like we're going to... To me, honestly, if you're really walking with the Lord, it's not like inner healing is ever like a major overhaul. It's just like, okay, we need to maybe adjust this here, maybe deal with this here. But if you're, if you're not a person who's walking the Lord like you should be, then there's going to be some deep issues. And if you've never been through any healing and you haven't dealt with your issues, then there will be some stuff to deal with. Anyway, moving on. But notice this. It says that Jonathan loved him as himself, and it says that the, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. That is what we call a healthy soul tie that they were knit together. And here's what happens. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him himself. Verse 4, Then Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. So it's interesting here because your ability to receive from others comes best when you walk in covenant with them. Your ability to receive from others comes best when you walk in covenant. David and Jonathan make a covenant right here. In verse 4, David is given to him from Jonathan. Now, if you back up to chapter 17, in verse number 38, the Bible says this. Then Saul clothed David with his garment and put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with his armor. David put on his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tried them. So David said to him, I cannot go with these, and I, I have not tested them. And David took them off. It's interesting that Jonathan's stuff fits David, but Saul's stuff doesn't fit David. Now, I know the Bible says that Saul was heads above, but to me it's the analogy of covenant. David can walk in Jonathan's step because of covenant. David does not have a covenant with Saul and therefore cannot run his stuff. And my own journey has been this. Those who I'm in covenant with, I receive the best from. I'm not saying you will not receive from people outside of covenant with them. I'm just saying for those who I run with in covenant, I always seem to receive the best from them. I don't know what it is. I can't explain it. It just, it just is that way for me. Two more thoughts, and we won't turn the scriptures, but about, about covenant. The, the third thought I want to give you about this is this, is that great wisdom is found in covenant. Great wisdom is found in covenant. That's 1 Samuel 19, 1 and 2. And second, the fourth thing I want to give you is this, is that covenant is for a lifetime. And that's 1 Samuel 20, 41 and 42. Like, when we, like, even, like, I'll use Lee again. When we transition out of Lee and, and the main leadership, and we talked to, and I was talking to Emma about it, they keep, the, thing, the thing we kept coming up to was about Lee's like, what's Lee going to do now? And I, and I thought, Lee, wisdom, wisdom. He carries wisdom. 
So I want that wisdom in my life. Our house needs his wisdom. Even though Lee's not up here returning now, even though Lee's released the reins to me, we still want his wisdom. And so even with people who I run encounter with, when there's a situation, so like the, tr- the church transition, Mike Sirianni, Abner, Ruth, other people. Why? Because we are in covenant with one another, and I, I value their voice. It's not I don't have value for other people's voices that I'm not in covenant with. But when you walk with somebody in covenant, you know they have your best interest at heart. See, one of the things that has the end in the church is we have to quit finding people who always say yes to us. I call them yes man. Hey, will you do this? Yes. Will you do this? Yes. And I'm, I'm thinking at some point you've got to learn to say no. And so in my life, I don't want people in my life who speak authority, who speak in my life who are always yes man. I want somebody like Abner, he'll say, Paul, you don't need to do that. Even though I, didn't, I want you to say yes, you, you say no. At the end of the day, it's my decision. But because I value your voice, I'm going to take heed to what you're saying. I think for us, especially people in leadership, we try to find the yes man. Hey, we should do this. Let's do that. No, how about people people actually say, no, we shouldn't do that today. Just, just a thought I want to throw out there. All right. Uh, I'll tell you what, we'll do one more and we'll stop. Same verse again. Adam and New Eve. And the, the, the last one I want to give you is this. Is community should be a place of reproduction. A place of reproduction. Does shepherd produce sheep? Or does sheep produce sheep? Now listen. We're all sheep, correct? I'm the shepherd. I'm still a sheep, but I'm the shepherd. So part of the challenge for most believers is saying, the pastor needs to grow the church. Nope. The sheep grow the sheep. Sheep beget sheep. So in community, we should all have a responsibility of making other sheep. All of us. Producing. So, how does community grow? Because sheep beget sheep. And that's why I love the book of Acts. I love just this thought of God coming down on Pentecost, touching 120 people. Peter's preaching this message of the cross and Christ and what all happens there. And, and Peter's not even done preaching. They say, what must we do to be born again? And you just see this, this onslaught of people coming into the kingdom. Pentecost is 3,000, and one day it's 5,000, and another day it's this. You just constantly see these scriptures over and over, how that God added daily to the church. So if we're really sheep, I'm not so interested in us growing this church. I am interested in us growing the kingdom. The church and the kingdom are not the same thing. We are a local church who is part of the kingdom of God. And honestly, do I want us to grow? Yeah, it'd be cool for you. It'd be cool to have a bigger crowd at times. I'm going to be honest. I'm just being honest. But I'm more interested in, is the kingdom growing? So if 800 people get added to the church down the street, 
Praise God. Why? Because the kingdom's growing. And if we grow, great. But what if just in your everyday walk, wherever God leads you, you beget sheep and they got plugged in somewhere else? You know what I say to that? I say, praise God, because they're in the kingdom. Jesus talks a lot more about the kingdom than he does the church. I think, matter of fact, I think the word church is only used three times in the whole Bible. Just like the word pastor, it's only used one time, and yet we want to focus on the pastor. That's only used one time, guys. But anyway, that's another message from another day. <laughs> anyway, moving on. But here's what I want to challenge us, is in our day-to-day life, are we finding other sheep? Are we sharing the gospel? Are we maybe planting a seed? As Paul says, you know, Paul says one plants, one waters, but it's God who gives the increase. Are we planting a seed? Are we watering a seed and letting God give the increase? And praise God, man, the thing is this. Freedom Point will be known as a place that grows the kingdom and not a church. Churches will come and go. Kingdom will always be growing and advancing. Amen?